Welcome to Pablo Held Investigates, where I talk to my musical heroes and peers about their creative process and their music. If you like this podcast, please consider supporting me at patreon.com slash pabloheld. And to keep informed about the interviews, my music and everything else that I'm up to, subscribe to my newsletter at pabloheld.com. Okay, let's start investigating. Yeah, so basically I just want to, um, I don't really have an agenda or anything. You know, I have tons of questions, but I want it to be like in conversation. So don't okay. hesitate to hold anything, don't hold anything back or if you want to say something or if you want to ask something or whatever. Let's just, I want to have a talk, you know. Okay. I, I want some more lessons. What what was that? Sorry. The lesson that the the sit down at the piano we had in Amria. Uh, each time we you said something to me, each of those, uh, you know, playing that scale, the the F and the B scale, and and so many things. I played you a little something, and your reaction. Each of those things is a whole. I, I want to dis I want to make them into a lesson with you. Oh come on! Because so, it was so it was so rich an experience for me, but it was only, it was as if all the things we discussed were only the titles of the lessons I want to have. So I know it's not practical, but that's just a wish. Right. Well, I found it very interesting that when we talked about you know substituting chords in standards. And actually, I was I'm wondering what your view on that is because you you've done so many great you know arrangements of of standards. Uh, I'm I'm actually wondering how you go go about it when you when you see like a standard like that that marvelous arrangement you did of of Round Midnight. How how did you start? I mean, how how do you? There's the song, you know, and 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 what what's first? I mean. How do you go about it? Well, first of all, the uh, I, I, I struggled with even the idea of doing that piece because it is such a major piece in the jazz repertoire. Right. Uh, there were years when I thought about doing it and then never did it. And, And the, what I ended up doing was a sort of a compromise at the t in mentally. Uh, what I did was arrange Gil Evans's arrangement. You know, his arrangement. I I haven't. I don't have proof of this. It's just my my guess, but I think that's it's right that Gil did an arrangement four miles just for the quintet. For the record, yeah, he did. It, it's not so. Yes. So it's the, it's the formic, the the form, uh, the structural arrangement that he did, yeah. and I just took that and did an orchestration of it. But then I, I mean, it came easy to me, and a lot of the, I, uh, to, oh, I, first of all, your your question is stunning in a way to me because I still feel so. Like a first-year Berkeley student, where it comes to harmony, 
when I get a lead sheet, in this case around midnight, or when I get the basic material from somebody else, my thinking is very basic and naive. My harmonic thing. Except in my attitude. Because it was while I was a while I was a, a freshman, you know, my first year at, at Berkeley as a student, I had already had a piano teacher in Zimbabwe who taught me some basics. And then uh, another teacher, they were friends, two, two teachers, he would show me how to play, play tunes in George Shearing style, you know, with the right hand playing in oct octaves and the harmony in the middle. And then Berkeley taught the same thing and called it four-way close double lead. Right. Uh, and what my teacher showed me was how to play it at the piano, but then translate that to five saxophones or five-part five harmony. It's four-part harmony double lead. So I, I started at Berkeley with that sort of thinking. And, and then I heard of uh, George Russell... And I went to the summer school in, in uh, August 1960, and uh, the Lenox School of Jazz. In fact, George George Schurer, uh, whom I just hung out with in the Armory a little while ago, yeah. made a film about the school. It, was, it only worked for four years, and the famous year was 1959, because of Ornette Coleman was there, and he was he shocked the musicians in. The, some were flabbergasted and some were excited. So, uh, How did uh, you feel? Pa Pablo, I must tell you, I'm rambling and uh, I do forget what I'm saying sometimes. So just, <laughs> I hope so you I'm, have an ex. I was just uh, adding, how, how did you feel about Onet's music back then? Well, I, I was lucky. I, it, the thing is, I'm, here I am at a school and it's, it's very academic. We're doing things by the rules. There were lots of rules. I want to come back to that. But I, there was a raw primitiveness to, to Ornette that uh, thrilled me. And I was lucky to be thrilled because I, as it, as it is explained in the um, in George Schiller's movie, to me anyway, there's something about the fact that uh, that the way to go was academically, and this man wasn't, that was a confusion for me, but I came out liking it rather than not liking it. Mm -hmm. So, But at the school, it was, you know, a five-day week was uh, one day George Russell taught a basic version of his Lydian chromatic Tonal organization, and the other day was Gunther Schiller teaching history of jazz classes. Mm. And in the so, and it's three weeks, so that meant we had nine meetings as a class. There were only about 40 students or so, uh, nine weeks or so, uh, nine lessons with George Russell. But what appealed to me was although his, his system was geared towards soloists, you know, improvisers. I, I took the information on as a writer. And he had these scales, you know, that this scale would work on a 251 
chords, you know, something like that. And what was thrilling was instead of me having to learn how to, I was in the attempt, I wanted to be a jazz trombone player, and I had my trombone. And uh, I, so I would, you know, I had to learn what to do on a C minor seven, and then what to do on an F seven, and then what to do on a B flat. But he gave me one scale to play on all three. Now this was like sounded theoretically like freedom, right. like expansion of, and I, it thrilled me. But then I noticed he had seven scales. You know, in, for different situations, harmonically. Right. And, and I would take the lead sheet, the basic lead sheet with someone else's simple changes, and apply these scales, and it expanded my harmonic concept. So, so which, now, which, which scales are you talking about now? Well, the, scale, the scales, uh, George Russell had a list of scales. Right. He, he devised a list of scales that were based, he, he explained why to him the, the basic major scale, tonality, the resolution was a was Lydian scale then, not a and it, it didn't matter that that didn't convince me much, but it didn't matter. It was exciting more than it was uh, but the last scale was chromatic. And that's what thrilled me. Because at that moment I abandoned his I didn't go any further with studying his system. Mm -hmm. I realize that if it's chromatic, I uh, am free, you can but in a tonal it. situation. Because mm -hmm. uh, I'm still there today. I like tonality, right. uh, but to, to approach any situation, which, I, which in my case is going to be tonal, but with chromatic scale available, thrilled me. But uh, I also realized that I had to devise my own what each note in any tonal situation was, like in the C chromatic scale, C is the tonic, and uh, you know the, what the, each note has, is, is has to be my definition, not somebody else's. So early on, this is in my first year, I was granted this sort of sense of freedom, but I never, I never. You know, I, I gradually wasn't a piano player anymore. I gradually wasn't was became a third trombone player, which was my best place in the band. Mm -hmm. But I became a writer, and it was Gary Burton who noticed this about me, and he encouraged me to write more than to play. In fact, Gary actually formed a little band with Steve Marcus on tenor and me on trombone and vibes. And at the first rehearsal. He didn't say this to me, but the second rehearsal, he had another trombone player there, Chris Swanson. But he asked me to write. And then he got a record day. This is while he was a student, while I was a student. He got a record day. And I go down to New York to do this date, and it's Phil Woods on alto. It's Clark Terry on trumpet. It's Chris, Chris it, it, and the label says Brock Brookray, but it wasn't Brock Brookray, it was Chris Swanson on trombone. Tommy Flanagan. Now, this is my thrill with Tommy Flanagan. Because I, had, I wrote an arrangement, of, it was in B flat, I think, and the, 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 at the end of the bridge, my F7 chord going to B flat, I just wrote all the notes of the major scale F, G, A, B flat, C. D, E flat, E flat, F, I just played all the notes and 
Fleming said, oh, wow, you know, what's this? Like, but, but what I did was all of the notes together. Uh, the, the tune went, uh, the, the, the last bar, the last two bars of the tune went, Ba, 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 da, ba. So those ba, 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 da, ba. Yes, I, the voicing for the piano was that scale. Now, <laughs> you know, I'll read. Now, I, the, the, already that that w would not have worked in my in my harmonic studies, you know, because they would have said you, you can't have the B flat. Yeah, why would you have the fourth? Would, well, I used to see the fourth as and if you were making a, a pea soup and you it's it's not very rich, you throw in some more peas. Yeah. And put, when you threw in the fourth degree, you didn't add anything harmonically. You just thickened the soup. Yeah. <laughs> that was my thinking. Mm -hmm. And so, but my the thing is that Tommy Flanagan. You know, whoopee, it pleased him to see it. Yeah. And for me as a student and him, as he was already Tommy Flanagan and he wasn't just the piano player. Joe Morello was the drummer. So, I mean, I had this break. I had this connection with the, the center of jazz that I wasn't, you know, outside of this. I had it early and this gave me credibility and confidence. Yeah. But I still, to this day, When I start a tune, a standard, I, uh, I, I'm very basic with the harmony. My, my ear doesn't... I don't think so. <laughs> no, I, I, but the thing is, what I do with it vertically is, um, it's always available is uh, the chroma chromatic scale. I think of it as chromatic. But the actual fu fundamental movement... I take from somebody else. I, I, you know, two, just two years ago, a year and a half ago, I, I did an NDR project with Dave Liebman and Richie Byrick. And I had known Richie Byrick personally in the 70s. So we were already close. We had a, a friendship, but we hadn't had any working knowledge. And when I got their music, I, and, and Richie had... Reharmonizations, quite a lot of them, my ear didn't wasn't comfortable with, but I did an arrangement of uh, "For All We Know," I think it is, mm -hmm. and and I when I played in my simple terms, Richie's reharmonizations, they they didn't sound to me as they didn't sound to me better than the 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 basic. Leachy. But I just listened to it the other day and it shocked me because what I did was I did eight bars my way and eight bars with Richie's way. And suddenly Richie's reharmonization sounded wonderful to me. Mm. I mean, the basicness, I mean, literally, if it, if it was F minus seven and it was just F, A flat, C, and whatever it was, I, my fingers still play very, very basically. I, I can't, I'm not adept at playing a melody and changing the harmony, which most pianists are good at. That's, that's their livelihood. Mm. And I never got developed with that. I, and, and I realize how vertical I am, but I'm always looking for ways to be more uh, horizontal. 
And what I'll be, what I, what one of the things it's done for me is I feel when as a melody goes along, as you hear a motif, when it goes to the next motif, my ear remembers the moment before when it was a different motif, and I often put those two together vertically, so that. And it's a, there's a clash, but they, it's a clash that quickly resolves itself because instead of the note dying down immediately, the, the ear can remember what happened two seconds ago. Yeah. And when I play them vertically in, at the same time, it gives me a richness, but it's a richness that's appropriate because it's already, it's already there when you just play a single melody. Mm. But... Uh, if you play the melody with the piano pedal down, it, it, it clashes a bit, and that enriches. What I'm always looking—I mean, my main job is to make timbre, the orchestral timbre, harmonically. Yeah. And so I, uh, anyway, I'm rambling. I think you no, should no, ask you should, another question. That's what we're here for. It's great. It's great. <laughs> I'm enjoying it a lot. <laughs> Well, <laughs> I like passing this into your ears. What? What was that? I like passing this information because I think it's primitive it's, it's into your all, ears. Not at all. It's 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 yeah. It's great to to hear how you how you think about these things. But I, I want to tell you a little story. I've got a feeling I might have told you before. Let's see. Uh, yes, um, with Round Midnight, uh, I played it, uh, whenever I play that tune with different bands, including NDR. Can it, I ask a question before, sorry, how did you first learn this song? How, how did you learn it? Oh, from the one of the early Miles Davis versions. Did you take it off? I mean, one, uh, I don't know what I did, I mean, uh, in the... What I did was the same format. I liked the fact that the first half was very, very slow, melancholy, really sad, and room for orchestration. And the second chorus was just rhythm section and culture. Yeah. And I, I, I structurally really like that a lot, and I so I, I my tenor solo doesn't have any band background, and uh, it, in the NDR it became Lutz's. It was Lutz that played it. I mean, normal. I say normally, but usually one would think to go to Christoph for it. But uh, Lutz, I did it first with Lutz. I liked it with Lutz. Christoph liked that Lutz had it because Christoph. Christoph, I, I think he loved Lutz too, as many of us did. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Christoph was the main guy, but Lutz was great as well. And the band liked having Lutz play it. I liked it. So, um, but I never, it took me a while to get an ending that I wanted. I, I, there was a momentum built up by the tenor solo. And then at the, the ending, which is also, it's from Gil's version for Miles. Uh, my my arrangement seemed to sag a bit, so I used to try and get a, okay come to a, a mini uh, resolution. But I asked the drummer to keep going. Not I, I didn't. I took a, I asked actually that they didn't go into that traditional Latin feel there. But I also left it up when I played with different bands and and the Latin feel 
was what was normal to them, I would let it go. It's it's flexible. But my choice was don't let it go. Carry on with the energy from the previous solo. And that works for me. Nowadays when I play it, it works for me. But every time we play that arrangement, it seems to lie in the band. Most of the bands play, it sounds good right away. Uh, and this is the next thing, though. Each t- I listen to several versions, four, maybe five, of over with years in between. Uh, because he played that for for many years, eight or seven years. Uh, and Miles was looser w- within the structure of Gill's structure. He got looser and looser with it. For the, the starting was the the last two bars of the first eight bars. The band goes and it was strong, and then gradually that got weaker, it got softer and softer. But everybody who knew the previous version you know, could realize that this was a not even a variation but a slight variation. Mm-hmm. And I wished to be able to, I, I actually had hoped to write another arrangement of. The, the piece where I got the that looseness built into the band somehow, and I did do that. Particularly that figure, I got I got less people to play it, and I got some people to sustain the notes instead, so that it wasn't ba ba. It would be ba ba ba. And now when I play it, it has that. But I wanted to do that aspect more and more. And in the middle of all that somewhere, I got a review. It was reviewed. I don't know if it was an album or if it was a concert or something. And the reviewer said, oh, God, do we really need another arrangement around Midnight? And his attitude was, "We've, we've heard this piece played to death. And somehow that affected me, and I never got to do the... I, I only wanted to do one more arrangement, but but to include the fact, to incorporate the fact that the way Miles played it, he got looser and looser. Yeah. And I actually, bef- before I decided to write the arrangement, I went to hear Miles in, in, in Boston. And I actually have a photograph of that night. That's with Hank Mobley, though. So... Mike, that's which year is it? Uh, it would have been sixty-two. Oh, so right before the, the quintet with her. Yeah, that, that, well, I, I might be confused. Be, no, I'm sure it was that night. Uh, maybe he didn't. He, the thing is that he did play around midnight, but I don't know if it was this arrangement or not, because I don't remember any recording with Hank Mobley playing this. Yeah. Do you know my uh, my in the in my view album? Yeah. Um, that photograph is uh, it's blurred slightly, but it's Hank Mobley mm. on tenor, yeah. and it was that night at because I got another photograph like that where Hank Mobley there's Miles standing there, mm. but it's you know but and the thing is that I heard Miles play. He played around midnight, but he never played the melody anyway. But the tune, the, you know, the tune not, isn't just the melody, it's the whole piece, it's the way the changes go, the, the, the shape of it. The tune isn't... 
I mean, I think at that time as a student, I thought the you know a tune was its melody, and then with some other stuff. But uh, this was that night was an education to me to hear a tune that where where the the melody was never played and yeah, recognize I mean, it. To me, that connects to to Miles's love of Ahmad Jamal. I think. Oh, because well, uh, because. When you listen to Ahmad Jamal, you can almost hear him play the melody, all, although he doesn't play it, right? So he, he does. He, he regularly this, this, these giant pauses, but in your yes. mind you hear the melody, yeah. And you also hear his appreciation of the tune itself, yeah. Although he totally makes his uh, makes it his own. Oh, now I don't know this. Yeah, I, I mean, mean I, I've heard Mama Tama, but I'm not that familiar with it. Yeah, so I, I, I thought a lot about this, you know, comparing <clears throat> Miles' recordings to to Ama Jamal's recordings that Miles must have heard, right? Yeah. Um, because you know, after reading all these books about Miles, I'm, I'm a big fanatic. Um, I, I read yeah. a lot about his, you know, his love for Ama Jamal's music and also that way into his later years he would show his band like recordings of Ahmad Jamal or they would go see him uh, and, yeah. and you can see a lot of songs that Ahmad Jamal played on his early records wind up yeah. on Miles's records oh, yeah. so and also I think Gil Evans also was a big admirer of Ahmad Jamal I mean maybe through, oh. through Miles he got into it but if you you know that uh, um, what, what's it called Ahmad Zomba no, new rumba. That's it. New rumba on oh, Miles oh, ahead. Yes. If you listen to the trio recording of Ahmad Jamal, they actually Miles copies, you know, part of the guitar solo he plays. You know, oh, and, uh, on Miles ahead. On Miles ahead, yeah. yeah. And you know, you 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 just see the love for for the music of Ahmad Jamal. Oh, and uh, with Ahmad, it, it's it's very. Um, yeah, it's very amazing for me to to listen to him and you know leave these kind of big pauses. And this is something that also I think wound up in wound up in in Miles uh, playing and you know his vision of of music, like leaving this kind of space. Yeah. And I read a nice thing about Ahmad Jamal, like uh, an interviewer um, asking him, um, so how how about these 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 pauses? Why why do you do them? How you know that must um, that's really amazing how you do it, and he said it's not amazing; it's just discipline. <laughs> really? Oh, <laughs> like, wow! Only play if you have something good to contribute, and that's very amazing because that that means also sometimes our naive feeling tells us to play all the time in order to have keep bring you know to uh, to. Um, um, you know, keep playing the tune, although the tune can play itself. Although, if you, you know, with even without you playing the melody for a second, yeah. right? Yeah. And I found that to be true also about your arrangement. Um, you just said it before. I mean, you don't play the melody correctly, but still yeah. it's around midnight, and you hear, you don't hear uh, an incorrect melody when you hear your melody of around midnight. Uh, you hear oh, the tune. You. you hear the tune, and I mean that connects back to Miles. In in the later years, he wouldn't play, but he would play. Yeah, know, that's, that's right. right. Yeah. 
it's not a, it's not a mistake. You don't you don't you don't take it as a mistake. You t just take it. Yeah, that's your version, and that's basically why we have to hear another versions of Round Midnight because we want <laughs> yes. to hear personal versions of it. Because, right. Yeah. You know. So I think your reviewer didn't get what you were, you know, doing. No, it's it's okay then. At least the reviewer. You know, said something, even if it's I disagree with it. Because so, so what you said earlier, so many people in, in interviews or reviews, I get the feeling they they're not hearing anything. Anything they say doesn't seem to relate to my experience while I was right. <laughs> That's true. <coughs> yeah. Yeah, they they get caught up with. Um... I, I, this, I, I, maybe I told you this too because it means so much to me. Uh, this John Sermon, did I tell you about it? it, it I'm the same generation or era as John Sermon, and uh, he. We were never like uh, you know, buddy buddy visiting buddies, but we we were contemporaries and we knew each other. And he played for me a lot. He played in my very first band. And I did a piece for soprano and string. It was an orchestra, you know, cl classical-ish. Uh, uh, and so we we did a few things. But but in, in 2009, I did a my only gig with HR band in Frankfurt, and it was with uh, Bill Frizzell, and it was Mingus Monk and Me was the program, the name of the thing. We did Mingus and Monk tunes, but I did Round Midnight at that concert. So it was a three-day festival, and Sermon wasn't playing that moment, so he was in the audience. And at the end of the, um, you know, at the end of the, but between the, me and the next artist, I walked to the dressing room or something, and Sermon stopped me. And, and I, you know, my head was, uh, I wasn't looking at him, but I, uh, uh, I think I grabbed his arm, in recognition of as we, as we were passing, but no, he stopped me. He stopped me moving, and he said, "Michael, he he was pulling my ears, my my eyes, my face to his face, so I was looking at him. Yeah. And I'm looking. Then I look at him, right at him. I'm this far away, and his his eyes were full of tears. Mm. And he said, "Michael, I'm crying." And it, he had just heard the round midnight. And then that, I mean, I, I'm, I think I'm more able to be outwardly emotional than a lot of your average guys, especially jazz musicians. But this, uh, this was difficult for me. I didn't know how to take it. I mean, John was paying me a compliment bigger than I've ever had because it was physical. He, yeah, he had tears in his eyes as a reaction of this, and I thought, you know, what, what more could I possibly offer? My my audience has always been my peers. I I I do enjoy playing on the stage, but usually when I'm on the stage, not always because some tunes I I need to, my attention needs to be on every note. And I barely have to do anything because they know it well. But I need to be on every note, but not all the tune. And so now I've lost my. No, you were saying like uh, that you're playing mostly for your peers. 
Oh, my peers, and I, I, it's, it's my, when I'm writing it, I know it's, I know that uh, something that's a success for me in finding a way to realize my idea. It's my peers that I, that I want to hear. I, I mean, I, I once did a concert in a cathedral, uh, a big, big, a big cathedral in England. Anyway, it wasn't a religious, it wasn't a religious music, but the concert was in this cathedral. And one of the priests came to me afterwards and said, you know, that was a, a he didn't use the word religious, but he, he used a word, a religious word. That was a religious experience. Now I appreciated that. Yeah. But, but what, but it's not really what I want. What I want is, is someone, oh, oh I, I, I know, I, I, in fact, I, I only have one gig this year, and it's in March. I'm going to New York. In fact, I'm waiting for, we, uh, the, we're going to play Hal Wilner's Amacord project, which I, this will be the third time I've done, done it. And the way that I've got that piece ending it's very quite gentle ending, and it's, it's a resolution to to E major. It's got a slow, slow harmonic movement. You know, a very simple is eventually a B seven, and it goes to E major. But while we're getting there, the cello is going B G B down low down. B, G, and then some movement, B, G, and then eventually we come to somebody else, the flute's playing an E major with a G sharp in it, yeah. and right after that, the cello just once more goes B, G, mm. this is after the resolution, so <laughs> when I first did it, Hans Koller was in the audience, and he came to me and said, Michael, you know, do you realize you have major and minor in the same chord? And I said, I'm so glad you heard it, because yeah. I want, that's what I want. Yeah. And then Rob Berger, I don't know if you, Rob Berger, I don't know if you know him, but he's an accordion player and multi-American guy. And he, the moment I heard him warming up, I knew this was a... a, a person with big heart and depth. And he came to me and said, Michael, you have major and minor in the same chord. I said, oh, thank you. And this is, what, this is what I want more than anything. I mean, if the audience, the audience can't be expected to do it. And if they enjoy it, okay, but they're not likely to, to say that to me. But that's the sort of... That's what I'm when I'm playing because I feel slightly naive where I'm coming from. It's if the musicians notice something like that, it lifts me, it gives me credibility and yeah. joy and forward momentum. I think, and so one one other person noticed it that the next time we played it, somebody else. No, I forgot who it was. Mm. It reminds me of, of um, that classical piano player, Claudio Arau, you know? Oh, I know who he is. Who he is yeah, I read this yeah. wonderful book uh, that he wrote on piano playing. And he said something that really st struck me and that connects to what you just said. And he said, always play for the ideal listener. 
Oh, and that changes how you play, right? That I thought I was cheating actually by only playing to musicians. If he says that, I'm not saying that that only musicians are the ideal listener, but uh, to me, the ideal listener is like somebody who's really open uh, and doesn't yeah. doesn't put it into boxes or you know rules. Like yeah. you wouldn't have the minor and the you know. Uh, <laughs> Who doesn't have to um, like think about something else that he knows and say, saying like this is something like this in order to enjoy it, you know, to to compare it to something else. Yeah. But he was just open um, and and uh, uh, willing to engage in a way yeah. and and connect. And um, I think that's very true. Like. Playing for the ideal listener, and that can be no, a musician, but that can also be somebody who doesn't know anything about music, but it's just open yeah, to yeah. sound. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to cast those people aside. Like, I no, do no. want them. Like uh, the the priest's reaction. Yeah, I mean, he, his reaction had to do with his life, which was a religious life. Yeah. and so the fact that he 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 voiced his appreciation in his in the terms he's familiar with is, is a pleasure to me. Yeah, I, I because do it's personal it. for him. That's true. I, I think he said that, that it was a really spiritual experience yeah. for me. Yeah. So uh, the fact that I could touch that, yeah. uh, it pleases me. But what I like more than anything is uh, is a musical re <laughs> response like the Yeah. Of mine. Mm -hmm. It's nice. Now I, now I want to hear this. Can you send it to me? Um, the Amacorn. Yeah. Um, you know, I, well, first of all, I'm about to play it again in July. But uh, then what I'm waiting for is I don't know what the orchestra is and whether I, I, I won't change that aspect, but I, I have to, I have to maybe change. So where's that concert in Ju July? It's on the, uh, July 27th, it's outdoor, it's outdoor, it's the, The, the Lincoln, that area has got another name. Avery Fisher or something? Avery Fisher Hall. I don't know. Well, it's not the hall. It's because it's outdoor. Right. But the the band plays in a shell. It yeah. is, you know, in a, and I've never. I mean, I've been in that area, and I don't recall seeing it. It might be new. It was originally a program of Nina Rota music written for Fellini movies. Yeah, nice. But they in in the second time we did it. They added Karen Mantler doing arrangements from Godfather. So I think they start with the Godfather music and then they do all Fellini movies. And then the, the first record they made, Bill Frizzell did a solo a guitar piece, Juliet of the Spirits. And, and the second concert, which we did in London, uh, Bill couldn't do it and Hal asked me to arrange something for a small group. I did it just for string quartet and a few woodwind. Um, and we and John Etheridge played guitar. So I, yeah. talking about Bill, um, is that is that was it a similar arrangement of Round Midnight that you did with the HR then with It was it was the same arrangement. Same Actually in that piece uh Tony Lakatosh played this so Whom I absolutely love. Yeah. Oh, he, he's 
he's right into anything he does. But I mean, this tune, he just, it was like, it was like a very, very hungry man. He just gobbled up the tune. And, mm-hmm. and of course, as a, the whole thing about the tenor solo in the formalness of the piece is that very delicate, intimate, quiet, sad beginning, which Miles kills. And then into this, ah! Yeah. And Lakatos just did it. So Bill actually was there, but he didn't. I, you know, I thought about uh, Bill is totally un, unfussy. He doesn't, he just does what he's asked. And I, I had him play, but he, he doesn't feature. Mm-hmm. I mean, the other pieces he did feature, obviously. Yeah. So, I, but I didn't change any. I didn't sort of write Bill's music. That, that, that's the thing that when you get with people like that, the less he writes, the more room they have to be themselves. Yeah, and I, I think that's, I that's very special about you, about your writing, actually, that you have this courage to leave someone's space. Oh, especially someone like Bill, he's, he's so individual and he's so able to, to play anything, any style or anything, that the less I, I ask of him, the more I, I get the credit. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm joking. But I say this because I, I know him since he was a student and I... He's not exactly my son, but I I love him personally. Yeah. So, when when did you first meet? You you were his teacher, or? Well, he came to classes of mine, but I I don't, I never uh, I have no recollection of him in the class because he's so quiet and shy. But in those days when he was a student, I mean Boston is full of little clubs. There are you know the students are playing in clubs every night, and I went to many of his. Uh, gigs, and uh, many of them were uh, were remarkable experiences. I mean, uh, uh, one that wasn't Bill was uh, Matheny, Jaco, and Bob Moses at a, playing one night. No advertising. The place was absolutely full. The Zerka, I think it was called, and it it was an, uh, the music they played became Bright Side's Life, which is historic in the. Yeah. But Bill played in a club with D Sharp on drums, who died. Hmm. And it was Bill, Bill Frizzell and Wayne Krantz, two guitars, Steve Swallow on uh, bass and uh, D Sharp on drums. And the music was the most rhythmic. I mean, it was like, it was like, I also went to a Peter Tosh concert. Uh, in the Berkeley Performance Center, and the moment the music started, everybody stood up because your body has to move. Yeah. And the and the security was saying, "No, sit down, sit down. You're not allowed to stand up." And, and right from the first eight bars, there was problems because the audience wouldn't sit down. Yeah. It, the same thing with the D sharp. The music was so it wasn't uh, reggae, but it was so rhythmic. Yeah. And then soon after that, I had a gig in England. And I asked Bill and Wayne to play. To what come. a combination! I mean, I, I never would have put those those guys together. But I mean, but, you, but you're probably saying it based on how you know Wayne. Yeah. In those days, Wayne was a student. Yeah. And, and they played. They, they were locked together as, like one. 
<laughs> but, the, but at the last minute, Bill had to cancel, and I was friends with, I had worked with Kevin Newbanks, and I asked Kevin to come in. It was not what I was looking for, but they were, as they were both good players, I made the best of them. It wasn't like a locked rhythm section. It became two separate personalities, and it just happened to both be guitar. Now, I've only just found tapes of these. In fact, I haven't even heard them. I've I've been sending my music to somebody in London who's beginning to put out all this old stuff. And they're digitizing. Because I haven't got any... You know, I've got tapes and I have no tape recorder. Yeah, you should do that. Can you you tell me a little bit about the process of of making this album with with, uh, Schofield? I I have to say my favorite tunes are Gil B643, which is actually one of my favorite uh, Schofield uh, tunes of all time. And Roses Are Red, I really love um, Roses Are Red. Oh, thank you. And these are my uh, arrangements, and I, I was wondering how did you go about with this uh, project, like taking Schofield's music, did you choose songs, or did he choose the songs, or um, how was it? Um, well, I mean, there's, there's things I don't remember. Uh, I'm going back a bit now. Mm-hmm. I mean, I knew Sco pretty well socially. When I arrived at Berkeley to teach, he had just left. So we still got to meet personally a lot, and I would go and hear him a lot. And he, he and Gary Burden were mates. Uh, so, you know, places where Gary would be, uh, they would be in the same company, I would be there as well. So I got to know him personally. And I, I absolutely loved his playing and still do. You know, every time I hear somebody new, Pablo Helms. The first thing I want is how can I be involved? Mm. And you know, and, and now I see Niels Klein's written with pride how he had the first project with the Pablo Hell trio with the NDR. So that means I can't have the first project. <laughs> you, know, and it, you know, and so I envy him. And the thing is that I also am noticing him and enjoying what I see. And I like the fact that it's, I really think uh, Pablo Held, if Pablo Held's going to do something with a big band, it should be from the, the same generation. I think he has first story. I mean, because you, you and me, we're, we're in different generations. It doesn't mean we shouldn't do something, but we're far apart. And it, it and you if you need anything with a big band, it needs to be from your generation. So, Neil, I think it's a good marriage. But I, I, I look... Envy, envy has a bad connotation. I don't look with envy. I look with joy, but, but uh, wish that I was there. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> but then, uh, I still think there's possibilities, but they are other than nature, which is what happens with that you and Neil said all together. So now I've forgotten what I was saying. Oh, the, the, uh, when I, for, for many years, uh, the interim years, I remembered that Sco and I did a lot. But when I looked it up in the diary, in the, in, in the, we actually did things for a whole year. The first concert, we, the, we talked about wanting to do a collaboration. 
I remember going on the roof of his. Uh, by the way, that Gill B six four three—that's the address of his uh, flat at Westbeth, which was a big artist colony uh, building that you know was reduced uh, cost. And and Sco, I went to visit Sco, and he lived in that same building. Yeah. And the first concert we did, I, I don't know who you know where the gigs came, which meant the the. the making the thing happen because it costs money. The first concert we did was in Denmark. And I know I have tapes of it, although I haven't listened to them. At least I think I, I think I have tapes. It was a very big band. Five trombones, five trumpets, five saxes, huge. I remember we did a piece called Protocol. Fantastic. Oh, you must know Protocol. Yeah. It's a difficult piece. It's not easy. And when Scott plays it, you can hear it's difficult, but he plays it with comfortable ease. And I was very surprised that the band played it so well, with more ease than I anticipated. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember, this is a totally other story for the minute, my relationship with Graham Collier, because Graham helped me a lot. But for some reason, he was in the audience, and this is in Copenhagen. I don't know why he was there. It was a daytime concert. And I, apparently, I seem to remember the concert went very well. So it's, it, it exists. It, it's, it was done for the radio. Mm. Yeah. So that was the first concert. Then we went to Sweden, and with a, now with a Swedish band, and played Flushing in Stockholm. And then we got on a plane and went up north somewhere. I've got photographs of that at the airport. There was a lead trumpet player who was not Swedish. But it was always with uh, Swallow and with Stuart as the... No. Ah, okay. No, the, each time it was the... Well, each time it was only twice. It was only one gig in Denmark, two gigs in Sweden. So, this was a rehearsal in Sweden. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because I remember it was at an outdoor festival and Sam Rivers was there. And I played in a band in Boston for two years know, with yeah. Sam. And I hadn't seen him in many years and it was so good to see him. And he had Tommy Campbell on drums and it was social as well. And I, I know... I, I'm very unorganized, but I've got a photograph of uh, two or three photographs of Sko, and I'm standing because I'm leading and I'm not standing in the trombone. I was playing trombone in the in the band in, in the Swedish band, and then we come to England, England, <coughs> and we've got an arts council tour with twelve concerts. I mean, nowadays twelve is a lot. Twelve. Concerts and the, the the sound man. I mean, the sound on this record is very good. I think it's, very good, yeah. it's vital. Mm. And he did it as a, it. It wasn't meant for a recording. It was meant for a, a reference. Or he did it for me as a kind of. I don't know what, but it's only a, a direct, a two-track, directed to to two-track. No mixing or anything, because his his main job was making. Sound for the house, for the building, you know. So, 
So the fact that it's such a good recording as well is... Uh, anyway, so we did the 12 concerts, and those were the three things we did, but it was spread over a whole year. Mm. Okay. And I can't... I forgot that. But I thought we just did them like that, but, you know, I, I don't remember the gaps or, or what we did in the gap. Who chose that Gil uh, 643 swung this time? Um, the choosing was between us. Uh, it, I would I would listen to what, what Sco had up you know on record up till then. Plus, uh, I remember going down into the basement where he practiced, and he would suggest things. He, there's nothing where he said I must do this. Mm. He he left the choosing up to me, but I chose from what I heard of him on record. And the Gill piece, I I can't remember how we chose that. I don't know if it's on if it's on a record without yeah. with with Gill only. With with uh, John only. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. I think uh, what's the record? It's that record where he, I think it's the record. It's either still warm, but I don't think so. Uh, I think it's on that record, which which is is mainly his demos that he sent to Miles. I think, <coughs> uh, you know, really? one of his early records. Um, and it's so many great tunes, but I think it's only tunes that he was intended as demos to send to Miles for for maybe uh, Miles using them for his, for his own band at that time. And I think that's one of the songs, but I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But I've got a feeling that I did the choosing, but from what he because gave me. Uh, from what I heard, but also from what he, he might suggest something. In. Yeah, because he it's, left, it's, he left straight the the, it's straight on the record. And I always wanted to play this song with uh, Sko, but I always felt like I, um, I, I would, would try a different feel and I didn't know what exactly. So when oh. I heard your version of it, I was like, yeah, that's it. That's, that's great. And I love the original, of course. You know, I, 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 I love the, the bass line. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah, and it sounds so, so open. It's very open, that piece. And that, that those voicings... Um, and it's amazing that you can, yeah, you hear the Gill influence in his, his writing <laughs> and then in your writing too, but then you still make it your own. Um, and but you know, I, when I hear, I don't listen to it, but, but when I've heard it, I, I feel I didn't finish my research on it, that I, that I had more work to do on it to get it where I would normally work. Yeah, like what, I mean, what was missing? Uh, it, sometimes some, uh, the flavor of the voicings works, but I, I think that I could have dug a little deeper into making the, the flavor, making the choices that are the flavor of the voicings. But also some of the rhythmic The, whatever the whatever I've got the band doing, uh, the, some of the rhythmic um, choices of the melody. With that piece, I just felt I didn't finish my research. I I like what I've got, but I think that I could have gone deeper. Mm -hmm. But with I mean, don't you have that feeling with with most of what you do? I mean, that feeling of you know after you've done it, you're so much uh, wiser. Uh, and you're yes, like, oh, okay, now I, I, arrived, I arrived at this, and uh, I think I could do a better job now, you know. Well, it, 
it's not a question of a better job. That was the best job I could do at that moment. Yeah. And I felt that had I had more time, I could take it. Completion, I, I didn't like the word completion, but I, I, I just felt that uh, there's room for more in there. And I, I did do it for NDR. And I did work on, you know, when I came to what wasn't finished for me, I did work a little bit more. But the piece, is, the piece as a whole, it didn't fall into the band. I'm wondering if you need score for that piece. A good point. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, because, it's just a feeling. Like I, I think you're right. Because also the, the baseline, he... It's not that he has to play the bass line, but he makes reference to the bass. Yeah. He, I mean, uh, he he did different things on different performances. Yeah. So there would be times when he would play the bass line, but there would be times he would play off the bass line. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I bounce off the bass line yeah. in, in what I do. And, and so, Kenny sounds so, so amazing on that tune, his solo. To hear him over something like that is very unusual for him, I think. I, I've got to go back and listen because I haven't. Although it's just come out, I haven't. My, my last listen was a while ago. Yeah. It's amazing. I mean, that, that really stood out for me, that, that song. Oh, good. Okay. This is something in your music which is absolutely stunning. I mean, the opening of Investigations. Mm. You change the time signature and the you know, and you've got uh, quarter note, uh, eighth note equals part yeah. of the triplet and stuff. This is so subtle, and you know, my, my solution would have been slow words, slow down or speed up or something like. That. And you've you've been much more accurate. I don't know about no, that. No, not only there, except it's, it's just that. I think it's not the sound how you how you write. I mean, how I, how you explain it. it, because there are different ways of, you know, arriving at that point. I think your way of of naming it, like slowing down, speeding up, is basically what we're doing. So you could also name it like <laughs> that. No, but uh, you've got an accuracy, you know. Mm -hmm. right. the, the thing is, if if you do that, you, you, your skills at uh, writing down what you want are vast. It's much more sophisticated, uh, especially watching it, looking at it at the lead sheet. Yeah. It, it is so far, it is so advanced to... I mean, you know, to where I am, to where my thinking is. It's so advanced that it... First of all, I like to listen to it without looking at it, because looking at it is a lesson in itself. I still have to do is to listen to it a lot more so that it's in my system and then look at do the looking at it and then putting those two together so i mean that that, that just those first bar because he played several times the first one I, I there's a lot of life there left for me to enjoy it now that's i'm talking about two bars so what about the rest of the music there's so much there yeah and, 
And and how about um, Roses Are Red? Well, I wrote it when I was working at the piano. And playing at the piano, I don't think I got with the band the, as much as I do when I play it at the piano. When I, like I say when I play the piano, I'm only playing the lead sheet. You know? Yeah, it's, it sounds only like the a piano piece in a way. It sounds but, very but, pianistic. I, I guess so. I, but I don't mean it as a piano piece. Uh, mm -hmm. It's just that in those days, my all my tunes started a, a, with me playing playing the lead sheet, as it were. So it's, it's the piano in my ear, mm. uh, and and that that version is more complete than the orchestrational ones I've like done. Mm. Uh, and I, I've tried it several times, but I never. Uh, Stan Sorfsen liked that piece, and, but, and, but uh, you know he wanted to study with me because of that. That's what's. It was that piece that made him want to have lessons. Yeah, we never did it, but, but the thing. So I, I realized that it, I once played it to a student friend of mine, Larry Bader, and he immediately said, "Oh, Gibbs, it's, that's very Gibbs." So I like that. Yeah, and I still like the when I played at the piano. What I'm hearing is how I. I, don't, I haven't made the translation to my satisfaction yet, but uh, I don't. It's also one I don't want to work on anymore. It's it's uh, is it in a way finished for you or? Uh, well, I've done as much as I can. For it. But then, I mean, uh, uh, there's too much else to do. <laughs> if you can, if you get a moment, uh, it would be so great if you could send me a lead sheet of that. Uh, okay, well, you're very organized with lead sheets, I noticed, because I ask you for some and in 10 minutes I've got them. <laughs> I, I have to find it, and if I can't find it, I have to see if I have a score yeah. from which I could deduce. So, yes is the answer, but it won't be quick. Yeah. No, no, I, it, it will give me lots of pleasure that you have it, but I, I have to find it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm also, yeah, curious about handwritten sheets of yours. I would like to see your handwriting. Oh, my handwriting pre-computers was pretty good. I mean, uh, I it was sometimes uh, quick, but uh, but often I could do a score which was printable. You know, could be sold as. Uh, I used to be neat, but and now my hands don't work. Uh, I fumble with. So I do have very initial ideas on paper, but already, as soon as I've got enough in a bar or three or eight that I can put onto the computer, I then just start working around it. Yeah, did you have any uh, like role models in terms of handwriting sheet music? No, because it's all computer now. No, I mean back then when you started. Oh. Were there like um, sheet sheet music that you of composers? Of composers. Well, I mean, uh, yeah. There's two two copyists I work with. They both had incredible handwriting, mm -hmm. but they were copyists. They, they didn't write. Uh, no, I I don't. Gary Burton was the worst. <laughs> I mean, do you do you think he's he he could be worse than Kenny Wheeler? <laughs> I've got a lot of Kennys. Yeah. Uh, and they're not very good. Yeah. I, I've got, you know, it's amazing to see it because his music sounds so organized. Yes, he is. No, his writing was not very good. 
<laughs> we should talk a little better about Kenny, you know. No, I love him to death. <laughs> yeah, me too. I love him, I love him. I, you know, for so many years, the, the weird thing was, he is such a shy guy, but he had, but he, inside he was very alive, yeah. and he also had an incredible sense of humor. He, he would tell jokes, but with no laugh, no smile on his face. So, I mean, I worked with him in the studio, I would be, go to the studios he would be in, he, he, we both played in the John Dankworth band. We both played in John Warren's band. We played in other people's bands. I never played in his band, but his bands only came later. I was once asked to conduct. He didn't conduct. He always did you, had someone did you play there. on the Windmill Tilter? Right. Yes, well, that was John Dankworth organizing it, but I played on that. Right, okay. Yeah. Kenny didn't do any. He did the writing, the work at home, and then John Dankworth took that. I see. But we both played in, in John Dankworth's regular band for a couple of years. And John Dankworth, he did movies, he did sort of classical and jazz combinations. He did lots of work with Cleo Lane. I played in John Dankworth's seven-piece band and big band, and, and Kenny was on a lot of these things. I was around Kenny for many years, and then... And then, I, yes, I heard Kenny's music in uh, John Dankel's band. But one night, and this is after I'd known him for many years, I was in New York and Kenny was playing Kenny Wheeler Quintet or Quartet at the Blue Note. And I went down there and I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Mm -hmm. I, this was a person I'd known for years and I'd never seen him as a leader. Mm -hmm. And he was telling jokes to the American audience. And announcing that you know, I've seen him in a way that I've never seen him before. He was so I realized man I missed all, a lot. Then. Pardon? He was a show businessman after all. Maybe he, he adjusted the little bit to the audience. It was hidden audience. before. Uh, so I, I cared about him a lot. Mm. And, and then I, I, I listened to some, uh, some early stuff that he did with me. He played in a lot of my band. I made a, I did a four night, I did a, I recorded four nights in Ronnie Scott's with my band. Mm -hmm. And it's out as a double, I think it's a double CD. But I, somebody recently sent me an hour's worth of outtakes. And I noticed that there's one tune which I never played much, but it features Kenny a lot on it. And how, oh, I know the story I was going to tell. Often I would go to a studio and it's set up for a big band. We don't know what's, what it is. It's going to be some commercial music. Kenny was always early. He was the first one there. And he always went and put himself in the fourth chair. He just, he claimed the fourth chair for him. Yeah, I see. And his, the trumpets were behind me, so his trumpet was in my ear. Because I had the trumpets in front, and the thing about him was that sometimes if I'm if I'm lost rhythmically, if the drummer's sort of playing around, I got the time from Kenny because he was down the line. He played very accurately, yeah. rhythmically, mm. very strong. As I say, strong enough that I could get where I was from him more than the drummer or the conductor. Mm. And he did it without. He, 
it was never flashy like Derek Watkins, who was also brilliant, but he was flashy. He he was he was he filled the room with his personality. But Kenny was shy. There's always yeah. some somebody in the band who has the best time that you can. That you yeah, but it, you would be surprised that it was Kenny because he was so shy and yeah. you know, he took up very little space. Yeah. Can I ask you a little bit about Paprika Plains again? Sure. Yeah, because I'm really curious about <coughs> what the process of you were, was, uh, you know, you're writing it. Did you, I mean, was it written, I mean, Does Joni have any lead sheets of her pieces, or...? Uh, actually, some guy... I heard that somebody but... writes lead sheets out of songs for her, or they used to do it, or I don't know. But how was it with Paprika Plains? Uh, well, first of all, she had... The previous album she did, she had some a small... Something of hers... They added an orchestra to, and it won a Grammy. I, I can't remember if the record won a Grammy, the song won a Grammy, or the arranger won a Grammy. <coughs> uh, it's a famous guy, and I forgot who he is. Famous uh, LA writer. <coughs> I've forgotten. And now, at this time, when she was in Paprika, Paprika Plan, she was, uh, Jaco Pastorius was very much in her life. And I've, I've got five orchestral pieces. Uh, <laughs> have you got time? I have time, sure. Uh, I entered a competition for a, a double wind quintet. They, they made a competition for a piece of music. And I wrote a piece just for that. And I won. And it was a hundred pounds prize at a performance. <laughs> so this, this has to be 1966 or so. And then later I orchestrated it for orchestra. For orchestra. I don't know why, but the, but I've got a recording of it done by the Hanover Radio Symphony, and I can't remember why why I got the opportunity. And then, uh, and I like them. They're, they're very short. They're less than three minutes each. The five, you know. In fact, one of them is sort of under two minutes. <clears throat> and I played them to Jaco one day. And uh, I remember him calling me up at three o'clock in the morning. Mike, you motherfucker. He said, you know, he thought these were great pieces. And then he played them to Joe Zavanoff. Because then when I, 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 I knew Joe to say hello to, just because I, we were, I was always backstage. And this is pre-weather report. Well, so then uh, Joni comes to, Joni and Jocko are together a lot. And she says to him, I, I've, I've done, oh, Chaka taught us, I mean, she's a guitarist when she plays, but she does play some piano. And Chaka showed her something at the piano that was very, released her from her, from her habits or something, oh, some harmonic that? thing. What was that? Uh, I, well, whatever, however she played the piano, well, she's not trained, you know, she's not 
Go. I, I read that she had she had uh, piano lessons, but then she had a teacher who were, was very obsessed with uh, uh, mistakes and hit her with a ruler. Oh! So uh, this is when uh, she stopped having formal piano lessons and everything after that was basically self-taught. And this is why it's so unique in a way how she plays the piano also. Well, I, what Jaco did, I don't know, but uh, but the result was that it freed her. Yeah, it very sounds, sounds very free how she plays there. Yes, so she actually played for day for I think she recorded a half an hour's worth of music and then edited it down to nine minutes. So it it was all improvised. Yeah. Well. It was spontaneous. I don't know how improvised. I mean, there's it was. this big, big piano cadenza in the middle. That's it. Uh, that's it. Because the songs, I don't think, are related. The yeah. vocal part, I don't think, is related. Mm. But I, I'm not in the picture yet. Yeah. You know, now she's got this nine minutes, and she's got the song at the beginning and the song at the end. Yeah. And then later comes the jam with Wayne and Jocko. But that was an afterthought. Yeah. But anyway, she comes to Jaco and says, I want to add an orchestra on here, the same way as we did on the Grammy winning thing of the previous album, which I, you know, if you, uh, I could look it up, but I've forgotten who it was, yeah. which song it was. Yeah. We'll look it up. Afterwards. So, uh, so she, he says, you've got to get my kid. So she's no idea who I am, but I get a call one day from the management that she wants me to do this. So uh, they flew me to, they, they sent me the tapes and I listened and I said, sure. Then, you know, the, the piano is there. Would I add an orchestra to it? Or would I add some orchestra? It wasn't, it wasn't a full orchestra. <clears throat> uh, so I flew to LA. It was daytime, I remember, it's called Paprika Plains, I'm thinking what the word Paprika Plains does to me, and why I can, this is a confusion, I had several confusions, but we're flying over the Grand Canyon, which is definitely not plains, but I still had, a, there must have been large areas of land that were plains, and it, it, looking at it gives me a feeling, and I actually, uh, this is a sub subject I'd like to talk with you. you. You, the things you've just done, putting, explaining all your investigations to us, uh, you don't differentiate between the music, the non-musical and the musical. And I've always separated the two when I talk, but uh, but it's almost as if I separated the two. And my my goal was going to be what you're doing. You don't separate. You talk about the feeling you had, yeah. and then a note, and you it's one thing to you. And I so appreciate that, which which is why I have to go back to them because I only read them as you as you put them yeah. out. So this is another day we need. <laughs> so um, when I arrive at the studio and I talk to her, I meet her producer with whom she's very. Tight, you know what, what he says goes, and what they work very well together. Louis, somebody. So when I start talking, when I getting that talk talking to me about it, and my responses were, well, I'm looking for something that's that's paprika hot, 
and it's, it's got a flatness about it like planes. And she looked up at her producer and said, oh, I like this guy, because I didn't. The other thing, the other thing was that I, I had asked them to please get some young student whiskey to transcribe it. Because my transcribing, I can transcribe, but it's, it's difficult and a sort of waste of time. I was it's sort of like one step. Who, who did the transcription of it? As a young student in college in LA, I have no idea. I don't think I even met him. Or, yeah, okay. But I just asked, could I, when I arrived, could you have the, the music written so I could see it? Just saving myself yeah. time. Why? So, uh, Why is this decision? It, it's all 5-8 bars and 6 It's got all different types of systems, rubatos and everything. Sure. And I didn't talk music at all. I mean, this was for me to take home privately to study. But when I talked to them, I talked in colors. And there's this wonderful line about the river snaking. And immediately it's got green color into me. Mm. And the and, and which, which spoke co-anglais. And in my orchestration, that when she sings those words, and that, yeah, when she sings those words, I have a co-anglais snaking, you know, literally snaking, snaking. And she says snaking, and I make the music snake. It's li yeah. that literal. But actually, the, it was because I chose to sneak, to bring the orchestra in at the end of the song, so that by the time she resolves the song with this big C major triad, now starts the piano. I, I needed an introduction. Anyway, I thought I had created a big uh, pap da da paprika planes, and I've got a bang in the orchestra. I thought I was going to get a red hot sound, and it sounds icy arct. Arctic cold to me. <laughs> so, I, but not in the way that, oh, I've got to change it. It was, oh, that's what happened. So, and I accepted it, right? Mm -hmm. okay. So the end result wasn't what I expected, but it was, I didn't, she didn't, you know, this wasn't an issue for her. She just heard orchestra. And I love the fact that the, the strings creep in underneath the, the low cellos. And in fact, the, the first note is below C. And so that, I, I had the cellos and the violas, but the first note is below C, so the violas don't play it. But I liked that because that the creeping in was all orchestrated for me because the violas couldn't play the first note. They, they come in on the second or third, and they creep up. But then she came to this big resolution with a big C major triangle. Um, and, and I orchestr I took a long time orchestrating it. It needed to be, it needed to be tra traditional sounding. I, you know, I didn't want screaming French horns or anything. I put everything in there comfortable register. Yeah. And there was one D natural mid register flute just for the uh, a little harmonic rub. I don't, I don't mean the D to be. To sound too much. I just wanted to to affect the C major triangle. But what I did do was I arrived at the C and I, at mezzo forte, and then I, I I just waved my brought my arm slowly around and I said, when my arm 
to each player that's there. I said, as the as my arm approaches you, will you diminuendo? Or the other way around, would you crescendo? Mm. And as I go away from you, diminuendo. So the, the C major triad is like the surface of a, the C, but a calm C. So it's, it's, there's no movement in it except it's alive. Mm. And then that worked a real treat yeah. for me. And then actually doing her music, uh, I, you know, I just, uh, listen to it in, in, in blocks, uh, you know, each phrase she does and, and feel and search my own physical reaction, you know, non, non-musical reaction. Mm. And then how I find, how I define what I feel, I, I, my question to myself is, how can I achieve that with, with the tools I've got? Yeah. You know, I am separating the emotion with the skill of music, which you did with, you know, I, always, I often say this to class, this, this, what happens before music and what happens after, and you don't, this line, you don't, you either observe it or you, it's blurred. And I, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 I, I have to go back to it, or because it's a, your writings a lot. There's a lot, but the, this is a big step forward. Once I can take in what you've written, this is a big step forward. Will be a big step forward for me in my uh, my understanding of how I start a piece. But it always starts outside of music. Mm-hmm. It's outside of in music. It always starts with human. My human feeling when I play the note. Yes, good. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I, I can't stop talking, and maybe. Yeah, that's great. Are, are you? I mean, how do you feel about our talk? Do you feel we arrived at something, or? No, you have to answer that question. I mean, I, I'm just talking to you. you yeah, it's a dream for me to have your attention. Well, likewise. It's so great to talk to you. I mean, I could do this the whole day. Oh, bless you. Thank you. Mm. Well, I, I, I would like to do it the other way around. I mean, I would love to be talking. Are you talking about your music? The, 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 the time we spent at the piano in uh, Almeria, I, I want some more of that. Yeah, yeah, we should do it. If you get a collection of these, how how uh, will you make them public? Yeah, I will. I mean, the plan is to either put the uh, these on YouTube. Yeah. And oh. Then, and then on my website. Oh yeah. And uh, the Wayne interview is gonna be uh, in written form. Yeah. Oh. Because I don't have a video of that, uh, and. Um, yeah, but mostly it's going to be video or audio. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you were the first, um, after making the decision now, to pursue it more and more. You are the first I'm talking to, and it's, uh, yeah, it's been great. Uh, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for doing it. It's my real pleasure. Cool. I think a lot of people will be interested in what you have to say and um, 
and I'm looking forward to sharing it with with all of them. Uh, I'm a bit nervous, but uh, <laughs> it's gonna be fun. But I won't watch it. <laughs>